We're going to have fun this morning. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 17 is where we will be looking. Grab a Bible. There should be one in front of you, or if you've got it on your phone, there's some great Bible apps, a lot of translations. We're using the NIV translation this morning. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Let's pray together as we open the word this morning. Father, this morning we are so thankful that you reveal yourself to us, your identity, your purposes, your ways. You are not a God who, who chooses to remain silent in the heavens, but you open our ears and you open your mouth and you speak to us things that are marvelous, transcendent, supernatural, and yet so connecting for our lives. We think of the person of Jesus. As God put on flesh and dwelt among his people, God, you became tangible to us. Like Paul says in Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And in Jesus, we can see what you're like. We can see how you respond to humanity. We can see what your priorities are and what you've called us to be as a people. We pray now that as we look into your word and catch a glimpse of Jesus opening the eyes of some disciples to his identity, that you would open our eyes to your identity as well. That we would see this Jesus that they saw, this one who is the Son of God, who is powerful and holy and majestic. We pray even like these disciples, maybe that you would take us away and give us a chance to catch a glimpse of who you are in a new way, in a richer way in a supernatural way. Speak to us today, we pray. Help our hearts to be ready to receive this text and let this word cut us deeply and mend us and grow us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want a fun way to look at the Bible, one way that you can read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is through the lens of Jesus Christ as youth pastor. I think that's a really fun way to read the Bible. 
because in a sense, it's, it's very true. Jesus grabbed some young men, a lot of them in their teenage years, pulled them away as they were starting in the work world, as they were kind of catching, figuring out what trade they were going to get involved in. Jesus came alongside these young men and said, come follow me, I'm going to teach you a trade myself. And so these teenage men, Jesus almost acted like a youth pastor towards, and he would take them on these grand adventures. If you're in youth ministry, if you're a junior higher or a high school student or a college student, you know that youth ministry is full of great adventures. Right? Pastor Charles, who is our high school pastor, he loves. Like if you don't know this, remember this and then tell him to take you on one. He loves going on adventures. I remember Ryan and I, our children's pastor, went backpacking with Charles one time. Around every corner, Charles found a new opportunity to do something dangerous. I remember at one point we were, there was this big waterfall and it looked very scary. And my father-in-law, who was on the trip, said, hey, guys, stay away from that waterfall. It's very dangerous. And, and Charles just gets this look in his eye, right? It's kind of like this, you're not going to tell me what I'm going to do and not do look. But at the same time, like, did you just say dangerous look? And, and so he just, like, dives into this waterfall. He's crazy. So entrust your children to Charles is one thing that I'm saying. But... If you are a junior high or a high school student, go to Charles or go to Pastor James and say, take me on an adventure, right? Because that's what youth pastors do. They take kids up in the mountains and they play a wreck and they eat great food and they have cabin times and they learn from God. Summer camp, winter camp, leadership retreats, weekend trips, youth ministry is an adventure. And so Jesus was not just a youth pastor because he worked with youth. But Jesus was a youth pastor because he would take these young men and he would take them on these adventures where they would learn about who God was. He would show them things that they had never seen before. He would teach them things that they had never understood before. He would show them the inner workings of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He would reveal to them what it looks like to be someone who trusts Christ. And he would show them who he was, his identity. And he said, I'm going to send you out to teach others who I am. In Matthew chapter 17, we we catch a little bit of a glimpse of Jesus taking the disciples on a youth retreat of sorts. It's a little better than any youth retreat we've ever taken kids on, but a lot of commentators believe that what is happening in Matthew 16 and 17 is that Jesus is taking his disciples up north to teach them some things. He takes them to Caesarea Philippi and stands up on a mountain and says, who do people say that I am? Right? If the leadership retreat had a topic, it would be the identity of Jesus Christ. And the disciples say, well, some people say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. And Jesus says, well, what about you guys? What do, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you are blessed because this is not something that anyone revealed to you, but God in heaven, you are understanding who I am. You are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is such a foundational truth to understand. He took them into the wilderness to teach them these things. And here in Matthew 17, after six days of being up north, Jesus taps three of the guys on the shoulder and says, hey, let's go do a side trip. This is almost like a little leadership module on the apostles' training tour or something. He says, come with me up this mountain. I want to spend a day with you, and I want to teach you something. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus did that to you? You're at work one day, and 
sitting in your cubicle or wherever you work, and, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, you got you got some time? I, I'd love to teach you some things that are unbelievable about me, right? You'd probably say, yeah, right? You're a student and you're at school and Jesus shows up in your class and a little hall monitor says, like, um, we're looking for Frank. Jesus is here to take him to lunch, right? You're like, yeah, all right, right? In one, in one way, what we do in youth ministry here at Three Crosses is a lot like that. Right? When I was the high school pastor, the, the rhythm of summer camps and winter camps and retreats were a time where we would get away to be with Jesus. I, I remember May would come around. If you go to Redwood, this is your last week of school. Exciting stuff, right? Last week of school, a lot of times, you are running on fumes. And the kids would come to me as school started to wind down and they'd say, I can't Wait for camp because I always meet with God at camp. There's something about being away. There's something about being pulled out of life for a few days. If the men who are going on the men's retreat next weekend, you're starting to look forward to it now because you know that when you get away, God interacts with you in a different way. He always shows up. If you're not going to the men's retreat, you should sign up today because it's unbelievable. I'll be there. It's going to be great. But if you're not a man... Uh, women's retreat this later. But anyway, also great, also great. Jesus taps these three guys on the shoulder and says, I, I want you to come away with me for a while. Right? And they had no idea, right? Like a, like a trip with Charles. They had no idea what to expect. And, and what happens as these three go up the mountain with Jesus is very much unlike most re- retreats that we take. This is what happens. Jesus took these guys and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now I want us to understand that if you go on the men's retreat this weekend, this is not going to happen. If you go to 2020 camp this summer, if you go to Hume Lake with high school, this is not going to happen. This is a passage that is not primarily about going on a cool retreat. It's primarily about Jesus. This is a passage where Jesus is taking his apostles aside and showing them a glimpse into his glory, his magnificence, the way that he is not just a man, but he is fully God. This is a unique experience that these men are having with Jesus that you will most likely never experience. And so this is not just the go to summer camp message. This is a message about the power and glory of Jesus. Yet at the same time, Jesus has a practice of pulling us out of life and revealing to us something about who he is. And for some of us, this happens on a daily basis. We get up in the morning early, or maybe you're someone who stays up late at night, and we open the word, and we pray, and, it, and God meets us sometimes in those times, and it, there's something tangible that happens where the word that you read, you feel like, this is just for me. And sometimes we come to church on a Sunday in our normal rhythm of life and, and we walk in these doors not expecting anything to happen, but the message that comes from the stage or the songs that are sung or the liturgy that is walked through connects with you in a way where you think, this is like it's been crafted for me today, right? As we take pieces of our lives and we separate them out to the Lord, a lot of times he meets us there. If you go to the men's retreat, there's a good chance God will meet you there. If you go to camp this summer, God will meet you there. That is his practice. That is how he has chosen, even when he walked the earth, to connect with men and women, was that he would pull aside disciples and he'd meet them there. 
So I want you to imagine just for a moment that you're a junior high student and you're at camp and, and James Tyler comes up to you and says, hey, tomorrow morning before breakfast, I want to take you guys on a hike. And you're like, who's, who's going? He's like, well, it's just you three. You're my favorite three junior high students. And you're like, oh, that's, that's really nice, right? And James taps him on the shoulder and says, tomorrow morning I'm going to knock on the door. I want you to be ready. We're just going to go on a hike, right? And they're great, right? So they wake up, 6 in the morning, and you're 13. You're like, oh, man, James is coming. He knocks on the door. You come out of the cabin. Like, where are we going? He's like, we're going up to the mountain. We're going to where Joshua is, or maybe we're going to Inspiration Point up at Hume, whatever it is. We're going up the mountain. And so you follow James up the mountain. And as you get up the mountain with James Tyler, this is not going to happen, but as you go up the mountain with James Tyler, his face starts to glow like the sun, like shining, emanating. His body starts turning white and all these rays of light start, start coming from him and, and you're looking at your buddies like, what is happening, right? And James is glowing and all of a sudden in the distance you see a man on the other side of Hume Lake and he, and he hits the ground with his staff and the waters separate and he walks through and you're like, is that Moses? And sure enough, right, Moses shows up. And then a fiery chariot comes from the heavens and circles around and Elijah steps out and tips the driver or whatever and it jets away. And you're like, what is happening here, right? It's just me and Frank and Bobby here and James Tyler's glowing and Moses is here and Elijah's here. This is unbelievable, right? It's not going to happen at camp. But that's what happens to the disciples. Jesus takes him up this mountainside, and I don't know what they think is going to happen when they get there. Or maybe he's going to teach us something cool, right? Or maybe he's going to tell us something that's new or equip us. Maybe he's going to pray for us or ask us to pray for him. But instead, it's like Jesus catches on fire in a good way. And the Old Testament saints show up, and they start a conversation. We don't really know exactly what was going through the apostles' minds in this moment, Peter, James, and John, but... They were most likely filled with awe and wonder and fear and mystery and a knowledge that something absolutely amazing is happening. And I picture the three junior high kids like, what's happening? Like, I don't know. I don't know. James is on fire. Moses is here. What do we do? I don't know. Just should we leave? No, 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 no. Should we go and touch him? No, we'll catch on fire. Just stand here, right? And Peter is always the first to speak up. And Peter looks at Jesus and has these, I don't know if he interrupted what he did, but Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. We don't know what that means. Like, Lord, it's good for us disciples to be here. Like, this is a good thing. Or, Jesus, you know what? It's good that we're here. Probably not. Jesus, this is a good place. Something good is happening here. Maybe that's what they're saying. Jesus, it's good that we're here. And Peter says, let us set up a, a few tents, right? Maybe one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. You guys can camp down. We can stay here as long as you want. It's, it's good for us to be here. Let's abide in this place. Let's dwell in this place. Let's stay here. And if you've ever had an experience where God has taken you away and started to transform your life and meet with you, whether it was a camp or a quiet time or a church, maybe you've uttered those same words. God, it is good that I'm here. I, I know I've talked to a few men today who last year were really hesitant to go on the men's retreat. And they said, you know what? By Saturday afternoon, I just realized it's, it's good that I'm here. 
I'm so glad that I came. Right? I, I was so hesitant to step into this place. I didn't know what to expect. But it's good that I'm here. And, and that's what Peter expresses. There's something good, right, to say the least, about standing with a Christ who is transfigured and metamorphosized and Old Testament prophets. It's good that we're here. This is great. And, and yet I think for us sometimes settling for a good spot is not good. And what I mean by that is, this is what happened to me yesterday. This is a confession. This is not a proud moment. But yesterday, I took some time in the morning before the kids woke up to spend some time with the Lord. And so I, I grabbed the Bible, and I started to pray. And at first, if you have quiet times. You know that at first, your thoughts are kind of scattered. You're thinking through your schedule. Right? And so I was doing that. I was thinking about all the stuff that was going on that day and this weekend and, and all those different things. And, and, and yet I, I forced myself to just keep reading, keep praying. And, and within a couple of minutes, I got to this place where I felt like clarity emerged, right? where I was able to pray. And I was able to think critically about what God had for me over the weekend. I, I was able to, to bring some things to the Lord. And I remember thinking yesterday morning, God, it's good that I'm here. And the moment that I felt like settled in my quiet time, I felt like this is good, I said, amen. And I stood up and I walked into my day. And very quickly, as my day started to emerge, I began to realize that I cut off the experience way too early. Because I was just getting to the place that I was starting to engage the Lord, and then I, I, I walked away. I, I had an experience when I was in high school, the only time I ever went to summer camp, I was kind of reluctant to go because I'd never gone before, and yet some friends invited me. So I went up. We went to Alliance Redwoods for summer camp, and, and the first couple of days were just fun. I, I was playing volleyball. We played basketball. There was a racquetball court. We were having a good time. I was getting to know some friends, and, and I wasn't really an understanding of the gospel at the time. Like I had been coming to church, following Jesus, all that kind of stuff, but I didn't really get it. And so I was just having fun, doing what high school kids do at camp, and and a couple days into the camp, I started realizing that there was more to camp than, than just racquetball. We would sing these worship songs, and I felt my heart being softened and drawn in by these songs. The speaker would get up and, and teach the Bible, present the gospel, and I found myself being really drawn in to what he was saying. And, and I, I started noticing during the worship sets, my friends were putting their hands in the air, and I started putting my hands in the air, and, and this feeling started coming over me as we'd walk through our day that there's something good about being here. There's something good about this place where we talk about Jesus all day. There's something amazing about being in a place where we can sing to him and have chapel. There's something so good and refreshing about taking time away to just think and wrestle about my life with him. And I remember thinking as a high school kid, it is so good that we are here. I wish we can stay on this mountain forever. I really wish it. Right? If you go to the men's retreat, you're going to think that on Sunday. I wish we could stay, right? No offense to your family at home. I wish I could stay because there's something good about, I feel like my life is aligned properly right now. It's good that I'm here. And we know that life has to continue off the mountain. And we know that there's time for us to be away and there's time for us to re-engage. But, but what I want us to see in this text is that what Jesus did with these young men was he did not just take them up the mountain, show them something glorious, and then take them down the mountain. Jesus took them up the mountain, showed them something glorious, then he terrified them, then he took them down the mountain. 
And I think this is what we're scared of. Right? It's so often we see like men's retreat this weekend, the guys will come up and then they'll leave on Saturday afternoon, right? Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I got so much stuff to do. To, all right. And I think for a lot of us, what happens is we start to experience some of the goodness and we know that after goodness comes terror, right? Like you're having a great time with the Lord, you're having a quiet time, you're praying and God, this is so good, God, show me what I need to know from you. And God's like, okay, here's what I want to show you today. And you're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. Some of us are scared to engage with the Lord because we think he's going to reveal to us something terrifying. He's going to call us out on some stuff. He's going to call us to change some stuff. Some of you see videos of people going to other countries and you think, I don't want to follow Jesus because he's going to send me to one of those other countries, right? And so we love the place where we feel like it's good to be here, but we're always scared God's going to turn the corner and terrify us. And the reason that we feel like God's going to terrify us is because that's what he's going to do. Right? That's what he does. Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We're going to set some tents up. And Matthew tells us, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, Matthew says, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. And when you go spend time with Jesus, he doesn't want to just give you a great experience. He, he wants to terrify you. He wants to take you to a place where he opens up something new that is so transformational and, and different for you that in the moment when you first hear it, it's going to make you want to run away. Right? That's the reason some of us don't want to engage in stuff. It's because we know what that thing's going to be. And, and, and I think that one of the beautiful things about this passage being in the scriptures is that as we, not Peter, not James, not John, as we look at this text... We know that it is better for the apostles to be terrified than to just be thinking, this is a cool experience, right? Them face down on the ground, realizing that Jesus is more than they ever imagined is better than them sitting on the side saying, did you just see Moses show up? This is crazy, right? That's better because the reason they're terrified is not because God spooked them, right? The reason they're terrified is because the God of the universe showed up and spoke to them and said, this Jesus you're standing with is not like Moses and Elijah, this Jesus you've been walking with is not just like one of the prophets. This Jesus is not like this trifecta where Moses is the law, Elijah's the prophets, and Jesus is like the new, better prophet. He is in a class to himself. He is my son in the flesh. This Jesus you've been walking with is the one who created you and created Elijah and created Moses. Listen to him. Don't put up tents. He's the one that will be glorified. Listen to him, right? And in that moment when the cloud envelops them and the Father is speaking and Jesus and the prophets are standing there, they are absolutely terrified, and that's amazing. And you and I need to realize that when God wants to terrify us, it's amazing too. All right, some of us are scared to engage with God because we know what he wants us to let go of. And if you asked 
anyone in this world objectively, like, hey, here's what I'm scared God's going to tell me to let go of. They would tell you, when God calls you to do that and you let it go, your life will get better. But you're the one who's terrified, so it looks different to you. Some of you are scared that God's going to wreck your life and tell you to go move overseas or go share the gospel or to change something, right? But when he terrifies you and it's real, there's something amazing about that. We can't be people who are satisfied with just being, it's good to be here. I sing every week. I have my quiet time. I go on trips and I leave a little before it gets real, right? I know people, but they don't really know me, right? Because it's terrifying to let God really speak into our lives. But when Jesus takes us away, he does not just want to give us a spectacle. He wants to terrify us a little bit. If you needed surgery, what would happen? Say you needed your gallbladder removed. Is a surgeon would come at you with a knife and a needle, right? That's how surgery works. Maybe it's two different people. But an anesthesiologist comes at you with a needle, puts you to sleep by putting poison in your body. Then a man or a woman comes into the room with a really sharp knife and stabs you, cuts your body open, takes out one of your internal organs, and then sews you back up again, right? That's terrifying. If you're scared of surgery, I'm so sorry. But the reason we don't run screaming, most of us, from our surgeons is because our surgeons are coming at us with a knife to help us. I think sometimes we feel like Jesus is coming at us with a knife. <laughs> he's coming, he's got this scalpel, right? The Hebrew says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into our very heart, separating bone and marrow, joints and marrow. And we look at God like he's got this knife and he's coming at us. And we're like, God, I want to keep you at arm's length because you got that knife there. But God is not coming like an assailant. He's coming like a surgeon. And sure, it's going to hurt when he stabs you. <laughs> Maybe he'll put you under first like he did for Adam in Genesis chapter 2. But the reason that we let the surgeon stab us is because the surgeon brings life. And the reason that we should be people who, who grow in our ability to hand over the reins of our life to God and say, God, just cut me, be the surgeon in my life, is because we know he's not our assailant, he is our surgeon. And I, I think we catch a glimpse of this as Jesus comes to the disciples. They're on the ground terrified, right? The God of the universe is speaking out loud to them in a shiny cloud, right? Last time there was a mountain with a fire on top, everyone who touched it died. And now they're standing on the top of this mountain and Jesus is on fire. Moses and Elijah are there. A bright light is surrounding them and God is speaking to them. They're trembling on the ground and as they're learning about the gravity of Jesus, Jesus comes over, touches them and says, don't be scared get up. And the apostles look up and Jesus is alone. He's the same guy that led them up that mountain. He's the same guy who fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread. He's the same guy that taught them and showed mercy on people and healed people. He wasn't terrifying. It was, it was Jesus. And they realized in that moment that he was not trying to kill them. Jesus was trying to expand their worldview. One of the things that we need to understand is that the reason that this will never happen to us in the like on fire Jesus way 
is because Jesus really was trying to train these three specific guys and these 12 disciples specifically on who he truly was. I want us to know as a church that we are not people who merely believe in Jesus. Right? There are a lot of religions that believe in Jesus. If you're Muslim, you believe in Jesus. He was a guy, Todd, right? If you're Gandhi, Gandhi believed in Jesus. He loved the teachings of Jesus. We are not merely people who believe in Jesus. We are people who trust that Jesus is who the apostles said that he was. And so if you've ever wondered, like, what's the difference between Catholics and Protestants and Christianity? Catholics are are folks who said, we believe that the way we know what the apostles believed is by looking at the scriptures and watching the apostolic succession through the popes over church history, handing down the traditions. We just want to know what the apostles believed. The Protestants, folks like us, we say, well, the scriptures, not tradition, but the scriptures are the key place that we look to catch a window into the faith of the apostles. And so to be a believer in Jesus, you are someone who says, I trust what Peter said Jesus was all about. I trust what James said Jesus was all about. I trust who John said Jesus was. I trust the apostles because they were with him and they handed down the faith to us. That's why the apostle John in, in 1 John, he says, listen, I'm about to tell you something. And this is just not what I made up. He says, I'm telling you what I saw with my own eyes. I'm telling you what I heard with my own ears and I touched, reached out and touched with my own hands. This is what I'm proclaiming to you concerning the word of life, right? I'm telling you about a Jesus, not that I heard about, but a Jesus that I walked with. A Jesus that turned on fire in front of me, right? That's the Jesus I'm telling you about. And so when we read about Jesus, we read it through the eyes of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Peter or Paul or Jude, these People who had walked with him. That's why when the church decided what books should be in our New Testament, they said, we're not going to consider any book written by anyone who wasn't actually there, an apostle of Jesus, where he handed the faith to them. Those are the people who are going to carry down the truth for generations and millennia, the apostles. And so Jesus went on the mountainside, not with me and you, right? Jesus went on the mountainside with Peter, James, and John. And he said, I want to show you something about myself that you're not going to (laughs) forget. So that when you're leading a church in 30 years when I've ascended back into heaven and someone says, is Jesus really the son of God? (laughs) You'll say, yes. Because I was there (laughs) when he caught on fire and Moses and Elijah showed up and then God in the heaven showed up and he told me that Jesus was his son. I was there. And so we look into this text, not primarily as Say, hey, this weekend I'm going to go on a mountain and hope that someone catches on fire. Don't do that. We we read this text because these men, these young men, these teenagers that Jesus pulled up on this hill were entrusted with the words of life that have brought millions of men and women to life over the last 2,000 years. As these guys walk down the mountain, Jesus says to them, hey, don't tell anyone else about all that stuff that just happened with the fire and the guy. Keep that to yourself until I'm raised from the dead. Someday you'll be the one who I'm going to use to go tell the whole world about what happened today. But right now, let's, just let me keep teaching. Just let me keep preparing. I'm heading towards Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Just keep tracking with me. But someday you're going to tell this 
story to generation after generation after generation of men and women and children. And what happens is as they walk down the hill, the apostles have some questions, <laughs> which we probably would have some questions too if Jesus caught on fire in front of us, right? But the interesting thing is the questions that Peter, James, and John are asking are the same things they said they understood in chapter 16. And they said, Jesus, why, why does it say Elijah must come first? Jesus, well, what is the deal with Elijah, right? And, and yesterday, six days ago, they had said, oh, no, some people say you're Elijah, but we know you're the Christ, right? Now that they've had this experience with God, they know that Jesus is really who he said that he was, that he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and now they've got new questions, and they wrestle with those new questions, right? My one little piece of action point for those of you going on the retreat next weekend or going to camp this summer Make time after you come back to wrestle with the questions that emerge from what God tried to do in you at camp. Right? This weekend at Men's Retreat, we're going to have a great time, and God is going to bring transformation to our lives. He's going to break us. He's going to terrify us a little bit. He's going to give us a great time. We're going to think, oh, it's good that we're here, but make sure coming out of it that you're connected in a community of folks where you can say, God told me this at camp, and I got a bunch of questions about that. Ask those questions. As they walk down the hill, Jesus answers their questions and gives them some understanding. And for me, my, my most terrifying moment, maybe, maybe the most pivotal moment in my Christian experience was senior year of high school. I went to camp. I told you that. And, and I walked away, and I wasn't really transformed. Right? I, I made two decisions at summer camp that year. These are real decisions, not a good decision. Decision number one, listen to more Christian music. That was my first decision I made at camp. And decision number two, I need to wear more Christian t-shirts. Those are my two transformational experiences at summer camp, right? Load up my disc man with Christian tunes, right? And go buy some more t-shirts at Prifocals, right? Those were the two things that I came home saying, God has wrecked me, man. I'm going to wear these t-shirts on the day I die. And, and yet on the way home from camp, we stopped at these water slides and and all my friends were out on the water slides, and, and I decided to stay back and kind of just read or something. I don't know what I was doing. And, and one of my friends that had spent all week with me at camp came up to me, and, and she looked kind of nervous, right? which is weird because we'd known each other for years and years, and, and she looked so nervous. And, and she said, Danny, I want to ask you a question. And I said, sure, what's the question? She said, are you a Christian? And if you've ever been asked a question that makes you feel uncomfortable, you answer it really fast, right? I'm like, yeah, of course, yeah. She's like, good, good, all right, and she left. And, and yet that question she asked me just kept bouncing around in my brain for weeks, right? It was like God took me on the mountain and gave me an amazing experience where I got a new T-shirt. And then he said, hey, before you come on this mount, off this mountain, I, I want to terrify you a little bit. I want you to start wrestling with if you truly know me or not. So I went home from camp, and I started asking myself, am I? When these are my closest friends. We've been living together for years, and we went to school together, and they don't think I'm a Christian. And I went to church on Christmas and Easter growing up, and then now I go to church every week, right? Of course I'm a Christian. I look at my T-shirt, right? I open up my disc fan. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a disc-carrying Christian, And yet before God let me get down the mountain, he stabbed me with the scalpel and said, hey, there's something I need to remove in here. It's the blindness you have to the fact that you don't actually know me. 
I went into college with that question bouncing around in my brain, and I started reading the Bible, and, and I had a bunch of new questions. And I started to wrestle with this thing that was terrifying me and plaguing me. And, and in the midst of all that somewhere, I really met Jesus for the first time. I realized that Christianity was more than music and t-shirts, more than good times at camp and mountaintop experiences, that Christianity was about the one who suffered and died and rose. And the apostles said, this guy is the son of God. And as I read the words of the apostles, I started to see the Jesus that was trusted in by the apostles and my heart became alive and God saved me, not through the good times on the mountain, but through the scalpel that the surgeon put in on my way down the mountain. And this morning, maybe this is your mountaintop. And maybe you've had a good time here. You enjoyed some pizza maybe or some coffee before you came in. You're like, this is good. I should go to church. It's good that I'm here, right? And now all of a sudden, God is stabbing you. I won't, but God is stabbing you and saying, do you really know me? Have you been talking the game for a long time? Do you really know me? And maybe this weekend, the reason you're scared to sign up for the men's retreat is because you're scared you're going to find out you're not really a Christian. And let me tell you, if you go and you find that out, you're not going to encounter a God who says, ha, I was right and you were wrong. You're going to encounter a God who touches you and says, don't be scared, get up, come and follow me. He's going to say, trust me. Let me save you. Let me forgive you. Let me give you a new life. Let me give you a new vision. Maybe that'll happen to some of you at camp this summer or at the retreat this weekend. Maybe for some of you, today's the day. You're going to stick around, go to the prayer room and say, man, I... Honestly, I think God's trying to do surgery on me, and here's what it, where it is. And start that conversation. Because Christ likes to take us out of life for a little bit, whether it's on a Sunday for an hour, in your living room for half an hour in the mornings, at retreat for the weekend, or just while you're driving down the road, God likes to grab us and terrify us and say, I want to put you under the knife so that I can heal you. Let him do that today.